So we're looking at some familiar passages out of the Gospels and looking at these encounters that Jesus has with people in order to see some reasons for why we would want to uh, put our trust in and to follow Jesus Christ. And so I think both of these, both of these passages refer to the, the disciples leaving everything that they had and following, following Jesus. And so the questions, I got two questions that I uh, really want to look at, or one to start with. What would compel anyone to leave everything? It's a big statement. What would compel anyone to leave anything, to leave everything? So how would you answer that? So as we go through this, as we go through this, uh, this message, this talk this evening, ask yourself that question. What would compel me to leave everything and change the direction and course of my life? So we see this story here. So it just begins, it says, on one occasion. So Jesus is teaching. This is the very early of his ministry. He hadn't called his disciples yet. Very early of his ministry. And the crowds are starting to gather around him. And it was one of these occasions where Jesus sees a boat. He can get in the boat and push out a little way from the shore. And he can get himself some room so he's not so cramped with, with all of the people. And so he, he's, he comes across... Um, Peter, Simon in the story, later changes the name to Peter. So Peter's there, his brother Andrew is there, and then there are the two brothers, James and John as well. So there's four of them there, and so he sees this boat, and he's, he says, hey, let me get in your boat, and I want you guys to, to push me away from shore a little bit. I need a little bit more room. And so Simon, Peter, and his brother Andrew get in the boat with Jesus, and they row him out, and he gets done preaching, and he tells them, hey, why don't you go out into the deep part of the lake? So this is the, uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee. It's a different name, Sea of Gennesaret. Uh, had a lot of different names. And so he says, take us out into the deep part of the lake, and I want you to throw your nets in there for a catch. And Peter says, Jesus, we have been fishing all night. They were wrapping up their nets in the morning. They were done. Peter says, Jesus, uh, we fished all night, and we caught absolutely nothing. Now, these were, these were professional fishermen. So here you have this, this teacher, this prophet, telling them to go out, and he's telling them to how to fish. But then Peter says, uh, you know, Master, upon your word, we'll do it. We'll do what you say. And so they go out, throw out the nets for this one boat, and it's more than the one boat can handle. And so they call James and John, hey, come out, help us with all these fish. It's more than both boats can handle. The boats are starting to sink. Peter is immediately struck with, um, and all four of them are struck with, the amount of fish that, are, that they have caught. And Peter falls to his knees because he recognizes his, his, own, his own pride in um, not believing Jesus wholly, okay? He t- believed in him enough to do it. At your word, Jesus, I'll throw out the nets, but I, I don't really think we're going to get anything. That's essentially where he was at. And so he doubted Jesus, and so he, was, he recognized that his, his own doubt, his own pride, his own arrogance. And then um, Jesus says, don't worry. 
I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And so they pull up to the, they pull up to the shore, the two boats, and it says they leave everything and they follow him. <coughs> Excuse me. So the question that we started out with, what would make Jesus so compelling here? Why would they leave everything and follow him? And the other question, what would cause us to push Jesus away? Excuse me. So let's answer the first one. What would make Jesus so compelling? So like a lot of these passages, a lot of these stories, on a cursory read, it seems like we're supposed to take notice of the miracle and that the miracle is so amazing that it would... I'm just going to hold off for a minute until Anna comes back. I don't think I would have any problems. It seems like we're supposed to respond to the miracle, but I don't think the actual miracle is the point. See, because if it was the miracle that compelled them, we'd have to ask ourselves, well, why did, why did Peter pull away? See, they see the miracle, and Peter wants to pull away. He's not drawn to Jesus because of the miracle. He's actually driven away from Jesus because of the miracle. And in light of his own shortcomings and doubts and failures, he pulls away. So it can't be that. Up until this point, Jesus had been preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. And this isn't Peter's first exposure to Jesus. So Peter had been listening to Jesus in the, in the synagogues. Peter had been listening to Jesus in the, in the open areas as Jesus traveled around preaching and teaching. And Jesus had visited, visited his mother-in-law's house. And Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. During all of this time, Peter was not yet a disciple or a follower of Jesus Christ. But he's been hearing Jesus talk about the kingdom of God. He's been hearing Jesus talk about the gospel of the kingdom. And so the kingdom of God was not a, a new idea for the Jewish people at the time. The, the idea of the kingdom of God started long ago in Israel's history. And the first mention of Israel having a king is actually in the book of, of Genesis, chapter 49, where, where um, Jacob is blessing his, his 12 sons, and his son Judah is going to hold a scepter. And it says all of the nations of the world and his brothers would bow down to him, a descendant of the son Judah. And so from that point on, the nation of Israel is anticipating a king. It's anticipating a king who's going to come, and, and God's promise then long, many years after that promise and that blessing to Judah, God promises King David that he is going to have a son who will sit on the throne of Israel forever and judge the nations of the world in peace and bring 
and bring protection and security to the nation of Israel. And so this idea of a king that will come and sit on the throne of Israel forever and establish peace for eternity and that all of the nations will be gathered under is this promise that Israel has been holding on to for hundreds of years, thousands of years. And so Jesus is talking about the kingdom and he is saying, hey, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. And so it seems to me, it seems to me that what was so compelling to them is that they were able to look at their work through the lens of Jesus and the kingdom of God. Okay, so I don't think any of, in fact, I know none of us here are professional fishermen or fisherwomen, right? I mean, that's a pretty safe assumption. But I would like you to imagine you at your work. Now, when I say work tonight, I'm not going to be talking specifically about what you do for money or what you see as your career or your job. When I, when I say the word work, what I want you to think about is, that, is a broad understanding of that term. Whatever it is that you are doing, okay, that's work. Okay, the, the, a number of books in the New Testament refer to doing good work. And it's the whole scope of all of our human activity. Good work. Good engagement in doing things. So when I say work, it, it could be your job, but it's also the life with your family. It's also the life with your neighbors. It's also raising children. It's, also, it's, it's all of what you do that you physically exert yourself, your body, your mind in doing. Okay, So they were able to see their work specifically fishing, they were able to see their work through the, through the lens of, of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And so imagine Jesus stepping into your world, whatever, you know, whatever, wherever you put yourself, and I say the idea of work, all right? Put Jesus in there. And imagine Jesus doing something that you would have never imagined was possible. Like They had never caught that many fish before. It, it was sinking both of their boats. So imagine Jesus stepping in. He's saying the kingdom of God is here. He is embodying the kingdom of God. So, the, so Jesus comes into your world and manifests the kingdom, and your work whatever it is, was completely transformed and he did something beyond your imagination that has never been done before. So that's what I think that these fishermen saw. And I think that there's three things that, that Jesus is saying about what happens if he enters into your world and engages your work. I think the first thing he says is that your work, whatever it is, it's going to be more abundant and it's going to be more effective with me. Okay? Again, Jesus is a prophet, he's a teacher, and a carpenter. He was not a fisherman. But he steps in and he does something that no fisherman had ever done before. 
And so it, it's contrasting. The story contrasts Peter and Andrews and Johns and James. It contrasts their efforts, fished all night long, hours, zero fish. Jesus steps in, their first cast, it's overloading the boats. And so what Jesus brings is abundance. Jesus brings effectiveness, more so than what our expectations are or our needs are. There's an abundant overflowing. It was more than they could handle. So if, 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 if you saw Jesus do that in your workplace, did something that was beyond your imagination, would that be compelling? Like, here's a, here is somebody who has mastered whatever it is. And so much so that it's, it's beyond my imagination to describe. Would that be compelling? Would you leave everything knowing that following this guy is going to produce something in your life beyond what you can do? The second thing is that it, it not only is, it, is, is whatever it is we do with Jesus more abundant and effective, it also has a more profound meaning and eternal significance. I think we're all familiar with the malaise and the satisfaction that people communicate about their work. There's, there's a desire to be a part of something and to contribute, some, to contribute something beyond just making money. I think, you know, recently uh, with, with COVID, we, you know, the, the mass resignation, like four and a half million people quit their jobs in the hopes of, finding a, a different work that would be more fulfilling, more meaningful. Well, what's happened is that uh, most of those people have regretted it. The, you know, we, the grass isn't greener on the other side. And what, what, what we have here with Jesus is that he, he, he enters into their work. He doesn't disdain it. He enters into it, makes it more abundant, makes it more effective, but also because he is the kingdom of God, he's bringing the kingdom of God into fishing. And so they see Jesus doing this, and I think to them, it would have, they would have seen a, an empowered and redeemed fishing. And they would have seen that, that Jesus considered it important. That Jesus considered it something to empower. We've been going through the book of, of Ecclesiastes with, with the young adults. And one of the consistent themes throughout the, books, throughout the book is that uh, life and all of the work we put into it is meaningless. Repeatedly, life is meaningless. Our work is meaningless. But he makes some exceptions along the way. He says, you know, whatever it is we find ourselves to do, let's do it with an orientation of pleasing God because only with this orientation does happiness and meaning and fulfillment come into our work. Otherwise, it's all meaningless. The ends of our work, that's not where the importance lies. Doing the work itself, whatever it happens to be, in the context of, 
of pleasing the Lord is what brings happiness. And so we see that, that meaning and satisfaction is what Jesus is bringing when he brings the kingdom of God into our lives and into our work. So our work, our lives, whatever it is we're doing, is going to be more abundant, it's going to be more effective, it's going to be more meaningful and satisfying. And the third thing is that, you know, when Jesus says you're going to be fishers of men, the word there is, is anthropos, it's men and women. You're going to be fishers of people. Not just fishermen anymore. And what he's saying is, is the kingdom of God, life in the kingdom of God, work in the kingdom of God, is, is the work of building relationships. It's the work of developing friendships and relationships with people for the kingdom's sake, for the gospel's sake. And that is what's going to also produce more meaning and satisfaction. I've mentioned a couple weeks ago uh, the book, uh, The Good Life, that is recently published. It's, a, it's the report of more than 80 years of study on what makes people happy. Close to 800 people were a part of the research over uh, two generations, 80 years. And so these people's lives were tracked, a lot of interviews, a lot of different scientists and schools are part of this study, but what they found is that good relationships are the key factor in what makes people happy, what brings satisfaction and joy to their lives. One of the challenges that we face in our time is that our, our lives are very fragmented, our relationships are very fragmented. One of the chapters they have is, is on work life. And what, what, what's happened in a lot of our work environments and in our personal lives is that we have, we've fragmented them. We've fragmented them so that the relationships we have with, at work are different than the relationships we have at home with our families. are different than the, We have all these different pockets of relationships, and because of some of the dynamics that we experience in our workplaces, we're not as, as open and free to develop those relationships as it seems like it should be. And so what they've identified is that the, the fragmentation of all of our relationships uh, drags us down, in fact, is, is opposed to happiness and the experience of joy and fulfillment in our relationships. And I think what Jesus is saying is that if you make him a part of your life, if you let the kingdom of God come into your life, He's going to bring together all of the relationships because whatever it is that you're doing in your work, again, whether it's family or whether it's neighborhood or whether it's the workplace or school, life in the kingdom of God is primarily about people. That's what's eternal. And, and, and Jesus said, I will follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. He's saying that, that you are going to be, in the kingdom of God, people that focus on developing and forming relationships, which we know, science is even saying this, is key to our happiness. So the more good relationships we have, the more personal and intimate and significant the relationships are, the more happy we are, regardless of how much money we make and the other kinds of criteria that we 
typically put on to success and happiness. And if you look at the story, it's really interesting. Um, you know, there's no wasted word in, in, in the Bible, in the Word of God. It said that, you know, what happened is that Peter and his brother Andrew were not able to handle all of the work on their own. See, it's, it's Jesus working through these people. So what happens is that the two other partners have to come and help out. So they're all engaged in this work together, and, there's, and, there's that, and that's not even enough. You know, in, the, in the second passage that Deirdre read, you know, the rich young ruler, we didn't read the entire story, but there's a, a rich young man that comes to Jesus Christ and says, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God, to enter into the kingdom of God? And uh, Jesus says, you know, the, you know the commandments. Honor your father and mother, and he goes down a list of, doesn't list them all. And the rich young ruler says, Lord, I've done all these things. And Jesus says, well, sell everything you have, distribute it to the poor, and follow me. And the rich young ruler goes away sad because he was wealthy. And he didn't want to give everything that he had. He didn't want to sell it and then give it all, he, all that he had to the poor. And so Jesus then says, it is very, very difficult for someone who is rich to enter into the kingdom of God. And then Peter says, Jesus, we have left our homes. What's, what's in it for us? And Jesus then says, anyone who has left their homes or their families will find many more homes and families and brothers and sisters, not only in this age, but in the one to come. And if you look at that promise, there's nothing about money in, that pat, in this particular version of that story. It's all about the relationships. It's all about the relationships. We all are going to have relationships in our lives that don't want to follow Jesus. But when we enter into the kingdom of God, what Jesus is saying is that you're going you're gonna to have people that pull away from you because of me. But when you come into the kingdom, you're going to find that you have many more brothers, many more sisters, many more mothers, many more fathers, because you are entering into God's family, which is a maximization then of the happiness that we can experience in life. So what I'm, what I'm saying here is, is that I think Jesus exposes his power and the kingdom of God into this one aspect of their lives, and in it communicates all of these things of what it means to be in the kingdom of God and a follower of Jesus. It's going to be more abundant, more effective, more meaningful, more satisfying, and we're going to find that the relationships are much more significant and lasting and fulfilling than in any other context. And so really, it's, it's, it's Jesus offering an experience of life that is, that is beyond anything that we can experience without him. It's the, it's the two metaphors. We can have a life where we can work and work and work and work, fish all night, and have nothing. Or we can follow Jesus 
and have more than we could have ever imagined from the standpoint of those, those qualities that Jesus is bringing. So when we think about it, the application for us, you know, it's, it's not calling all of us to become missionaries or pastors. I was listening to a, I was a, a podcast where, where um, there was somebody skeptical about the, the Bible being God's word and is everything true in, in a debate with, with, a, with a committed Christian. And, and the skeptic was saying, listen, if the Bible was all true, then every Christian that thought it was true and accurate uh, would have to sell all, the, sell all their possessions and distribute all of the proceeds to the poor. If you're going to take the Bible literally, that's what every Christian would have to do. I didn't think the response from the, from the Christian was very good in answering that. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus isn't saying everybody has to become a missionary, everybody, everybody has to become a pastor. What Jesus is calling us to, everyone, everyone, he's calling us into his kingdom and to be people that work for the kingdom. Not just for the paycheck, not just for their families, not just because it's something to do to get us by each day. He's calling us to become a worker for the kingdom of God and to view our entire life in this context. So there was a, a season of, of a few years between... This is how it worked out in my life. Now, I, I did become a minister, but that's not really the point. Um, there was a gap between when I recognized that I needed Jesus as my Savior and Lord and King, that he had died for my sins. There was a gap between that moment and when I understood that Jesus isn't just calling me to be a Christian He's, he's calling me to be a participant and a citizen in his kingdom. And that's, those are two different things. Yeah, I'm not just saved. And so I, don't, I can look forward to not living uh, for the rest of my life, uh, eternity in hell. Okay, so I, I've got that taken care of. That's not, that's not what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to a life in his kingdom. So... When, he, when, you, when we recognize that Jesus is calling us to a life in his kingdom, we have, to, we have to examine all aspects of our life. Our education, our careers, our families, our security, our marriages, how we're going to... Everything is what Jesus is asking us to evaluate. And to see those things in light of building the kingdom. And to see those things in light of building the kingdom. So we have to leave our own agendas. And when I did that, it completely changed my life. It completely changed my life. Yes, I became a minister. Because that's what I sense God calling me to do. But that's not the case for most people. Whatever it is that God has called you to do, with the gifts that he's given you to do, he wants you to see those and use those things in light of the kingdom. He wants, to, he wants you to submit your agenda to his. Your goals in life to the goals of the kingdom. And when that happens, Jesus says, I'm going to completely transform it. You're... You without me would be empty boats after a long night of fishing. 
you with me is something beyond your imagination. But we can push away like Peter. See, Peter's weaknesses were exposed, and he didn't like that. He said, depart from me, Lord, for I am a sinner. There's something that we know about following Jesus that we're going to have to be honest and true and open and vulnerable. And that pushes a lot of us away. It deters us because we're not ready to expose our weaknesses and we're not ready to deal with them ourselves. But this also betrays another reason. We want to remain the masters of our lives. We want to remain masters of our lives. And when Jesus says, come and follow me, he, he's saying, I, I, am the, I am leading. You need to follow me. You need to give your life to me. He'll say in other places, everybody needs to take up their cross. It's hard for us to submit all of our lives to Jesus, knowing that it's going to expose our weaknesses and that we're no longer going to be the ones in control. And what Jesus says is, listen, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Yes, your weaknesses will be exposed. Yes, you, you'll, you're going to have to deal with your pride and your arrogance. Yes, you're going to have to give up some things that you don't want to. But don't be afraid. He says, don't be afraid. Follow me. Look what I've done. You ended up with an empty boat. I filled it. Trust me. Don't be afraid and follow me. That's what Jesus is saying. Let me say a short prayer. Lord God, we, uh, we see what, what Jesus does when he enters into the lives of people. And Father, wherever we are at tonight whether it's fear of, of exposing our weaknesses or fear of losing our autonomy, we ask, Lord God, that you'd help us to get over our fear so that we can leave everything behind and follow you. In your son's name we pray, amen.